Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Conservative. Patriot. Common sense. This is The Jane Carroll Show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Jane Carroll Show. A little late due to technical issues. You have an excellent guest to start off our show this evening. I'm going to let my producer, Dave Bourne, uh, tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll get straight to him. I've been having some computer issues. Apologize for that on this Thursday night. And, uh, that The president got a, a clean bill of – he's a vibrant, healthy man, all together uh, for an 80-year-old. I know 80-year-olds that are not like him, but let's get to our guest. Dave? Born, could you please introduce him? Absolutely, Jane. And we were glad to welcome James Chernowski. He is a senior policy analyst in technology and innovation at the Americans for Prosperity. Tonight, he's going to be talking about the politicians launching a new push to require age verification on the Internet, government agencies threatening a new antitrust push, and a Washington Times report exposing political bias against conservatives like you and me by Chat G. P.T. Welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me. And thanks for your patience. All right. American Prosperity is a fine organization. It's been doing some great work for a a long time. Tell me, tell us, tell our audience a little bit about you and and what you, how you got into this. And because I think you're sort of standing up for the angels of uh, of conservatism by fighting back against these things. And, and, And then let's find out. Why do they want age verification? Is is this because of TikTok, et cetera? Yeah, those, that's a great question. So to introduce myself, I'm James Chernowski. I'm a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity, where I focus on issues surrounding technology and innovation on the federal and state level. Um, how I got into it was just by mistake, to be honest. Uh, I was going through grad school, and I decided that you know I need to find something else to do outside of my area of focus. And I thought, you know, that technology would be a great area to work in that had a lot of promise. And it turns out I was uh, very right. Uh, that was in 2016. Donald Trump got elected and technology all of a sudden came very much to the front and center of conversations in ways that it just simply hadn't before. So it's been a very fun time working uh, in this area, to say the least. And I think that it's, it's truly just a lot of fun because you get to go and learn about a wide range of issues. So kind of like what we're talking about tonight with age verification to autonomous vehicles, you name it, I get to go and cover it, and it's a lot of fun. But when it comes to this issue surrounding age verification, um, there's a reason why that politicians are certainly doing it. I think that, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in the fact that they're seeing increases in children, uh, you know, having worse mental health outcomes right now, whether that's in forms of increased rates of depression or suicide ideation rates, things like that. And they're putting the blame squarely on social media. And they think part of the solution is that they just want to raise the age for children to be able to get onto social media from 13, where it's currently at right now. Uh, That's been established under the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA, um, to 16, or in some proposals, even as high as 18. And really the only way that you can go and make that happen 
is if you were to mandate age verification uh, as the strategy, because uh, as we well know, humans are not angels. Uh, we lie, uh, and it's, very, it's usually in our best interest to go and have confirmation for something like that. So you would need age verification to prove that you are not, in fact, a child. So it wouldn't actually just apply to children. It would just apply to everybody on the Internet writ large. And that's where I think some of the problems really truly start to emerge when we're talking about this pretty important subject. Yeah, it gets it gets into a whole myriad of issues that they don't want to have any age identification for voting, but they want to be able to put you in a niche by age, et cetera. But is there another way that you would mention, uh, recommend James for, for finding out? Because you mentioned uh, the young people being depressed. You mentioned uh, the access to all this information that. Uh, they don't need to see, and I think it's been disruptive and destructive for them. Is it is this is the answer to for government to, to provide the answers for this, or is this parents? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that I, I personally believe that the answer lies in the household with the parents. I think that, especially in light of this movement that we've seen with conservatives, especially in recent years, talking about parental rights and education for their kids, that it really you know, bounces itself in those conservative roots by, by couching it in this history of wanting to empower parents to have better tools to tailor their online experience for their children. Um, that's a better route than trying to go through the age verification process because the other alternative that would be most likely used, if not the government ID, driver's license, birth certificate, some kind of government document that would identify you, if it's not going to be that, it's going to be something far worse, like let's say facial recognition use to go and scan your face for age estimation. Or tattoos. Yeah, and and that's a horrifying option, right? So I think that we don't want to encourage something like that. Um, I think that, you know, you empower parents in the house. You you work on educating them and empowering them because there are lots of tools out there that can go and put on filters to go and, you know, try to mitigate against kids seeing uh, bad material out there that you otherwise don't want them to see. And then also putting in time restrictions and other kinds of uh, controls so that way you can tailor your kids' online experience. That's one side of the equation. And then the other is educating children better on being good digital citizens and understanding the benefits of social media because there are actually benefits to kids when it comes to social media. That's undoubtedly true. Um, But we want to also go and mitigate against the potential downfalls that come from it as well. So like for the famous stat that everybody likes to talk about is, uh, the negative impact on, on teenage girls. And if we want to go and work on that, then it, you need to go and engage in a digital literacy education effort for kids themselves. So, so that way they don't, uh, you know, have that kind of bad feeling that we've been seeing escalate over recent years. Yeah, I I, I think it has escalated, but I, as having been once a teenage girl and, and knowing what a emotional wreck you are most of the time, uh, it's it's it, I don't think it's it's a new phenomenon. I do think that access to social media to bully each other is vastly increased. And we saw that story of that girl the other day that where they put her they would beat her up and they put the, her beating on the internet and she committed suicide because she's so humiliated by it. And and I do think that's a it's, that's a vulnerable age. And if you compound it with the opportunity to take people on from a distance and because girls are mean yeah no you're not wrong i think that 
in general, that's a problem that existed both in the offline world before the internet was really dominant in our kids' lives, uh, and it persists to today in the online world. Kids were mean in high school when I was there, and they were just as mean now in, in, in online settings as well. So I think that it doesn't quite go away um, regardless of that. And I think that we just, again, we need to do a better job of educating people about it so that way we can avoid it. And I also do think that at least when we're talking about some of these negative uh, side effects that we're seeing with children, it's also, I think, worth noting that there's also been a pretty big cultural shift in the last 15, 20 years uh, that's changed some things. I think that generally speaking, when we have as a society decided to say that it's okay to say that you are not okay, and that's reflected in an increase in the number of people who are self-reporting now because it's become acceptable, that's also something that you have to bake into the cake when we're trying to figure out where is all this coming from. Um, and I think that right now people are disproportionately putting it on social media companies when I think that really there's a lot of stuff going on in kids' lives right now. There's a lot of stuff going on in, in all of our lives, and you need to do a better job of trying to differentiate what's coming from what. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the issues in the, in the medium, and we throw in artificial intelligence and the facts of what that can do to to, to the mixture of the computers and human beings and et cetera. It's, it's a whole new frontier that's has some great possibilities, but also has some very uh, spooking frontiers, as you as you pointed out. But I also think yeah. COVID has has played a huge role in all of this. Because the kids were on phones all day or on computers all day. I mean, they were going to school. If, if and when they were going to school, they were on computers. And that's one of the phenomena that parents actually watched with their kids were being taught on, uh, in schools. And they, they freaked out uh, because it's not what they thought. And we've also, because of the keeping kids out of school for so long, we're discovering, to no one's surprise, that – this generation of, of kids is a couple of years behind and we'll never catch up. Yeah, it's truly devastating to see what the effects of lockdowns were on children in terms of, uh, you know, how much it impacted their ability to learn and, and do it at a proficient level. Um, that's going to be something that has a generational impact, I think, in the long run. And that's truly a shame. Um, you know, fortunately, I think that's actually something where technology can be very helpful in terms of helping kids catch up and close that gap. Um, there's lots of great educational tools out there that are blended with technology um, that are trying to help kids go and still learn some of those critical skills that are needed. So, for example, I know during the pandemic, you had um, uh, Meta uh, actually hosting virtual uh, high school debates uh, as a way to go and get kids that interaction and that touch with another person to go and engage in that communication, right? So I think that you need to go and rely on things like that in order to um, – kind of close that gap a little bit faster because right now I think it's just unacceptable where, where our kids are at as a result of uh, what's happened over the past couple of years with lockdowns and, and the educational institutions as they are. And there's also only so many hours in the day. Uh, and when you're not teaching kids how to read and write and analyze and think, uh, but you're teaching them, you know, about their human sexuality or their gender or uh, critical race theory or all these other things that uh, uh, are more teaching kids what to think, not, not how to think, uh, is, is, is only so many time, much time that you can have to have access to these kids to open up their minds to things. And I think you couple that with bullying and depression and the whole thing, I, I think it's, a, it's sort of, it's a dangerous 
precipice we're on here. And I think adults have to really put some effort into it. But I, you know, I know some adults that are just as addicted to all of this and, and, and just, and, and are bullies too. I have them in my audience, uh, you know, I, even people that, you know, don't like my opinions and, and, and don't just, you know, okay, I don't agree with her. Turn me off. They, They go crazy. They, they they just they, they can't stand to have somebody have an opinion that differs from theirs, so it's 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 part of the culture. Yeah, you're, you're certainly right about that. Unfortunately, I think, uh, especially in the online world, going back to the point that you made uh, earlier at the outset, the cost of being mean to somebody goes down exponentially when um, you don't have to say it to their face uh, and it's online. But that's something I think that, at least from my age growing up in the internet uh, era. Uh, and I think even previous generations too, uh, I think that it was just a different kind of engagement because I was used to people saying like bad stuff on the internet at a pretty regular cadence uh, to myself, to my friends. Oh, no, oh, it. no, yeah. Uh, it's, it, and you it, grow it like a thick skin because of it, it, right? Yeah, you never say that in person. I mean, some of the things that they yeah. say to you, they wouldn't say that to you in person. So it, or, or you might not say something to somebody in person either. So it's, it, 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 it desensitizes to it. Real quickly, we only got a, a couple minutes because of my computer issues. But uh, Chat GPT, what what's going on? Yeah. Washington Times did a, 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 a expose on it. Tell us real quickly what that's about. Yeah, so basically, Chat GPT is a language model that's trained to produce text as a result of something that you know we as users go and ask it. Um, and basically, you know, you can use it to go and produce cute Valentine's poems, etc., or you can go and use it in more deliberate terms like asking it to look at legislative text or create a, a bill to ban guns or create a bill to enshrine Second Amendment rights. Now, the problem is that ChatGPT uh, has no problem producing the gun ban bill, but it does have a problem with producing the Second Amendment enshrinement bill. And that kind of like under, underscores like this, this underlying um, uh, censorship issue that conservatives are so worried about where there's this bias against conservative ideas. So that's what's at the heart of the issue. The, the founders admitted that you know, obviously the product's flawed. They're going to continue working on it. But I think it's important for conservatives to make sure as we're looking forward that we keep our eye on the digital world to make sure that it doesn't go and get slanted against our values and our, and our view. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to have one-sided opinions on the Internet forever, and that's not really a great place to be either. No. So is, is chat GPT one of those ones that can write you a term paper? Yeah, it, it has that ability to write you a term paper, and people have tried to do that. Now, I think the funny thing with that is just simply that it's one of those situations where it fits that meme of the more you mess around, the more you're going to find out, because it does. it's not perfect, it's flawed, and people will go and use it, and they won't cite properly. So if you do submit it as a term paper, you might just get an F, because the professor can see that something's a little bit off with your report. Yeah, so it's it's it, it's risky. Well, that that's good because that's it's it, you know being able to write and communicate and et cetera and 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 do honest research is such an important part of education. It, I I think it's probably the most important part of education, and to think and to not just hear one point of view. One of the things that frustrates me, James, is the uh, uh, you know the one place in in your life that you that you could go and be test your ideas against people who agreed with you or against people who disagreed with you. Uh, and you could say the most extreme of things and test them out and test it. It was the safe place to do it. It was college. And that's not true anymore. And that's sad because they, people cower or they, they conform. And, and that's, um, 
you know, that's that's not good for, for America and it's not good good for the world. We, we all become these, you know, we all think alike and react to everything the same thing with this woke culture, et cetera. I appreciate you coming on, though, and I, I really do admire the organization you, you're affiliated with and all the good work you're doing. And I hope you made some people think because I think this is something that, uh, that we need to be conscious of. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me anytime. Okay, we'll get you back because I I want to talk to you some more, but we're we're out of time this evening. Thank you so much for your valuable time, sir. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Yeah, it's it's a huge topic, folks. It really is, and we're hearing more and more about it. I I can't imagine relying on, you know, going to a a website to get them to do your term papers. And people, I'm going to get the Cliff Note emails. Didn't you use Cliff Notes, Jane, when you didn't read a book? Well, I admit I did look upon at them on upon occasion. I, I did, did, but but you'd look at them, and and when you're in a time when you you're turning in papers and studying, you'd know if your teacher was going to buy that or not. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the Cliff Notes are the Cliff Notes were lame anyhow. They weren't very well done. And the only time you ever really looked at them is when you had done the work. So you really couldn't judge if they were as lame as you thought they were. You thought they were lame, or if you'd read half the book, you didn't use it. So it's, it's I don't know, a lot of these things are self-fulfilling failure. And once people find that out, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things. So... It's interesting that he raised the issue of, of, of depression among among young people. And this a lot of people, attention has been given the last few days, as a matter of fact, that, that one-third of teenage girls basically have, are or have been suicidal. That doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. Um, doesn't make me happy. But I, I think... I think it's something that, as a woman, you know that that's just part of being a teenager. It really is. You're just, you're very emotional. And and you're perfectly fine, intelligent, decent, funny parents and relatives uh, become idiots. Well, when you about turn 15, they know nothing. They have not experienced anything you've ever experienced. They know nothing about the world. Uh, they just don't know what it's like to be you and, and in this world at this particular time. And then, you know, you get a little older and they seem a lot smarter. What's that, you know, old quote about, about when you, you know, you I can't get the quote right, so I'm not going to do it right now. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I think that's a pattern we all go through. You meet people, and you, when you're a teenager, and you, they seem so lofty, or you have a, a teacher or a professor that just, oh my, they're so smart, and your parents are idiots. So they they aren't, of course, but that's sort of what you're conditioned to to go out in the world and find out. All the things they've told you, that's not true. The fact is what they've told you, for the most part, is true. And the things that you're learning out in the public square, propaganda and mind control, teaching you what to think, not how to think. 
And it's been going on for a long, long time. This is not new. But it is getting worse. It really is getting the, the, the putting everybody, all of us, you know, square pegs into round holes they're trying to put us into so we all think alike and act alike and vote alike and don't challenge anything that they tell us to think. So we'll support things like reparations because I know I know most people in this audience have a slave right now, don't you? Did your parents have slaves? I didn't, but we weren't very rich, so we probably couldn't afford slaves. Otherwise, I'm sure they would have had them. This is so absurd. And you know what's going to happen. I mean, we're talking about California, $5 million each to people. And I, and you think once they go through that $5 million, and it won't be long, folks, trust me. Just look at people that win the lottery. Within 10 years, people who win the lottery are, on average, are worse off than they were than before they won the lottery. They go, they think they, the money's endless, that it's going to, and they keep forgetting they take a lot of that in taxes. So unless you're one, one of those ones that are you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and usually people that win those, they're part of a syndicate. So they all split it up share it i don't know it's it's not the it's not the answer so if you handed money to people that don't know how to manage or handle money they're not going to mail it how many times do you see young young athletes that get suddenly paid millions of dollars they've come from a um modest income house or a low-income house or a single family uh, parent home and they, they they make all this money millions of dollars for a very short period, because most professional athletes, most people even don't make it into the pros where they actually get compensated, and then their careers are very short. In football, they're really short, and we we know the big stars. We hear all the monies that the LeBron James make, especially with the side deals from China, but they 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 go through it. They don't know how to do it. One of the things a lot of sports teams do is they hire people to help these players. Uh, manage their money better so that they have something to show for at the end of the thing rather than a mansion that they can no longer afford the heat or electricity in. And it's just, you don't do it. A lot of these people don't have good parents or two parents. A lot of them don't have dads. Sorry to interrupt, Jane. Yeah. Uh, we have another scheduled guest, Mark Burnell, or Burrell. The author of Rediscovering the American Covenant, he's talking about President's Day under attack, which is Monday. Oh, well, Mark, let's... He's on the line. Let's get right to that, Mark. That's a... a, President's Day is under attack. I I, I, I don't think they're blaming it on Biden, are they? (laughs) Well, you'd think they (laughs) might, but uh, hey, Jane, it's good to be with you. My pleasure, sir. Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't get to you sooner. Yeah, no worries. You want to talk about President's Day and what's going on? Well, it's been a sort of a movement to get because all the pre, all the presidents they showcase are not the the presidents we're supposed to worship. They're all the slave owners and everybody. So we should get rid of is that is that the same old argument like Columbus Day? We need to get rid of we've gotten rid of that and all that kind of stuff. We're now going to get rid of President's Day, but they still want the day off, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yes, they do. 
unfortunately, this is uh, their playbook. In order to get us to acquiesce and, and roll over and let them take us to be a socialist communist state, they have to separate us from these incredible leaders that helped found our nation. And so President Say is understandably under attack. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. They definitely don't want to lose the day off. That that would be unacceptable. But we'll find something else to celebrate, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I we it would be. I don't know what. I, I it, they want the days off and they want to be paid for them, but they don't want to celebrate President's Day. Um, they'll replace them with their icons. That's pretty. You know, that's pretty frightening in itself. Well, maybe we don't have icons anymore. We just don't look up to anybody, especially people that you know wrote the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and put together a, a concept of, of, of governing that has never been surpassed. Uh, it's not perfect, obviously, because people aren't perfect, but it's, it, it, it's sure yeah. worth A lot of people have died to defend it, and it's... But, you know, you watch... You, look what they've done to George Washington. George Washington. He, he's now a bad guy. Are there any good yeah. guys? Besides Barack Obama? Well, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when when you look at who was most instrumental in founding the country, it was obviously George Washington, uh, referred to as the father of the country, the indispensable man. And um, and yeah, he when he passed away, it was a year later on his birthday that they started to think about, should we recognize the accomplishments of this great man? And you have to remember, back at that time, we really didn't have any national holidays and the founders were aware of that and uh, and they were they thought it was a would be a good idea to recognize Washington and then of course a few decades later when when Lincoln passed away of course he's recognized as having saved the union ironically though join uh, Jane you'd think that Lincoln would be safe from the cancel culture people people but they recently took down a statue of Lincoln that is in what used to be in Boston. It was that statue of him and a slave that was kneeling below him in the process of getting up, you know, in the process of being emancipated because of what Lincoln did. And the cancel culture folks said that was too demeaning. That has to come down. And unfortunately, it was taken down in uh, December of last year. So no one is immune. It does not matter. But to your point, I doubt that they'll say anything negative about Barack Obama or, or or Joe Biden. But the classic presidents who did so much to found our nation and defend our liberty and justice, uh, they're being slowly wiped away. I, I know. It's bizarre. I, I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, and I know that statue well, and it just broke my heart because it's a beautiful statue. And it's, it's, it's something that uh, and it and it's represented the. The powerful uh, standing up for the meek and and bringing and allowing yeah. them to rise. And that's and that's that's the breaking down of bigotry. It's it's not the ratification of it. it, it it's stunning to me that Lincoln has been even Lincoln has been transformed. You'd think he'd be the the one that. Yep. Because most people. Yeah. If How you could ask, you argue I, with, I saw with a, what he accomplished? Yeah. I saw a survey a few years back and go and most 
people ask if you what party Lincoln was with, they'll say Democrat. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And of course he wasn't. He was the first Republican president. And right. uh, and that has somehow been lost to history. And of course, they they lose track of the fact that it was a Democratic Party that that uh, took over the the South after the Civil War and, and passed the Black Codes and all those things. Uh, somehow that all gets changed. And uh, it's all the Republicans fault. But this is the problem. The problem is cancel culture is it's like a cancer. It it ruins anything it touches. And uh Patriots have to stand up and, uh, and push back. And that's what my book is all about, uh, Rediscovering the American Covenant. My whole point there is to point people back to the Declaration of Independence, which I assert is our national founding covenant and is really our national identity. And so uh, that's the point that I'm trying to make in the book. We've got to get back to that and talk about it as a nation. Yeah, and I, I think I, I totally agree with you. And I and I think it's got to start in the home because it's not starting in the public square anymore. It's something that's considered um, uh, taboo, as a matter of fact. And you've got to st- study all these things, and you got to come. You know, you spend days on end coming up with your pronouns and um, things like that. Yeah. And, and, and it's so it's so lame. It's unbelievable that this is. Even let's say let's let's say that. The being transgender or is, is 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 an issue when it causes some people very a lot of pain or people that feel that they were born inside you know that they're a woman born inside of a, a male body or, or whatever. Now it seems like you 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 ask most young people today and they'll guess how many people are gay, what percentage of the population is gay and the rest of it is about forty percent. How many yeah. people? And I think there are far fewer people that are have sexual identity crises than there are gay people. And and it they're a very small portion of the population. But now it's like it's it, it's like when they talk about it. Well, it's half the kid, half, half of young people are yeah. trapped in the wrong body. It's absurd. Yeah, it is. And this all started when we took God out of the public square. Uh, and I, I do talk about this in the book as well. I, I go through the history and show it was really, uh, of course, there are a number of pivotal U.S. Supreme Court cases. But the one that introduced this separation of church and state doctrine, which, of course, is nowhere in any of our founding documents, no. that happened in 1947. And within 15 years, you they outlawed public prayer uh, in, in the public school and they outlawed Bible reading. It was 62 and 63 when those rulings were handed down. And so ever since then, they've slowly taken God out of the public square. And so, Jane, we've got multiple generations now that don't even know what the Ten Commandments are, which is the which is really the standard of our personal behavior and all lawmaking. It's in the first paragraph of the Declaration when they talked about the law of nature and of nature's God. And yet that has been completely erased. So it's no wonder why folks are completely confused, which is, of course, why I wrote the book. I'm glad you did. The, I, I heard uh, uh, Vice President Harris the other day uh, refer to uh, our founding documents and, and said it guaranteed us happiness. And and but no, no, no mention of life. 
it guaranteed life. Yeah, right. So that, of course, that might be, you know, anti-abortion. And it, it uh, or, you know, the, the fact that they were given to us by God, not by, you know, right. Kamala Harris. It's it's so and and she's 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 a lawyer by trade. That's hard to believe, but it's um, yeah. The whole thing is is altered to be to be told that that's the way things ought to be rather than the way they they were. And when you look and you study as you have done, um, what our founding fathers went through, I always think, you know, of all the people in the course of human events that have come together at at the right time in the right place to come up with those concepts. And it was such a handful of people. And they geographically in a, in a large world, they happen to be together and, and come up with this is, is that's gotta be some God's hand is in that. I've always believed in that. And I've, I've always believed that yep. God and, and our, our government and our constitution is, is, and those freedoms and the right to pursue what we believe is a very important part of that, and they're trying to eradicate all of that out of, out of our, out of our, our system, and it's very frightening. Yeah. Except for people of, you know, you know, you you can worship yep. the devil, and that's fine because that, you know, that's that's okay. But very frightening. And Christians are, you know, Christians are not fighting back in the way we should. No, we're not, and and that is. The primary reason I wrote this particular book was to make the strongest biblical argument for active Christian citizenship. So I've had a a teaching ministry for over 30 years. And when I started studying this topic, the question I had, Jane, was if uh, if Jesus said that you should pay your taxes and yet uh, the, the argument for the revolution was basically taxation without representation, they didn't want to pay their taxes. Then the question I started with about 25 years ago was, was the revolution even biblically justifiable? And so what I ended up doing about 20 years ago is I went through the Bible and I found all the passages that had to do with liberty and justice and rights and governing, and I laid them out. And then I looked at what our founders did in the drafting and the the approving of the Declaration of Independence, and I realized that they had followed the biblical template to the letter when they started our country, which... I am uh, convinced is why God blessed their efforts, because you have to remember what they did was, uh, you know, took a lot of guts. It was highly improbable that they would be successful going up against the global empire. But uh, but God showed up and they acknowledged this throughout the period that, that there was a series of miracles that allowed them to successfully separate. And you're right, Christians are not fighting back. I know in many cases it's because they haven't been taught. And so this is why I wrote Rediscovering the American Covenant. I'm, I'm really trying to help Christians who are looking for solid biblical explanations about our founding and about our role. I'm trying to give them some, some answers. So I encourage folks to go out and get a copy and get a copy for your pastor and all your church leaders to help equip them. Yeah, because it, it's 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 something that we're sort of doing in my church, uh, uh, more in a study group kind of kind of way, and reading some books that uh, I'm going to recommend pass your book on on to them as well. But uh, who else do you think is leading this movement? Because it it is a, it's a small movement, but it's a growing movement. 
Yeah, there's obviously there are a lot of Christian patriots that recognize they have a civic duty. Uh, now, I live in Ohio, and so, for instance, Jim Jordan, he's, uh, he's not actually my representative. He's in the district right next to us. Uh, but I know, for instance, uh, he is a godly guy, and he's doing his best to try and bring sanity and, and uh, govern in a just way, which is what, what God expects. And there are a number of others. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's certainly not a majority, to your point. And we've, we've just got to do a better job of, of praying for these folks. One of the things I say in the book, in fact, it's the last chapter of the book, is when I look at, at Old Testament Israel and I ask the question, you know, what did what happened when um, when God restored Israel? And he did that a couple of times with some of the Old Testament kings, for instance, uh, Josiah, King Josiah, who lived in the 7th century B.C., and Nehemiah, who lived in the uh, 4th century B.C., when they went back to get the wall, to rebuild the wall. Both of those leaders did something interesting. They pulled out the covenant and they read it aloud to the people. And they recommitted, they publicly recommitted to their national founding covenant. And guess what God did? He blessed their reigns. And so, Jane, I'm of the opinion that the single most important thing we have to do is there needs to be a critical mass of like-minded people like yourself and your listeners that need to formally get together, start a national conversation about who are we? as Americans, and to pull out this declaration and say, listen, are, are we committed to this or not? And I, I do believe that if a small enough group starts you know, this conversation, that that'll be what gets God back engaged. And you and I know that if God gets engaged, uh, things will turn around. Yeah, there's an old slogan about God's not going to work on this any harder than you are. So you need to sort of... You need to, to make it a, a priority. The book I was telling you about was uh, written by Stephen Deese, and he has a real uh, a game plan of, of, of action things for uh, people of faith to follow. And, it, and he even calls for civil disobedience, uh, which is, I think, uh, I'm not, I don't think the movement's ready for that yet. I, I don't. I think some are, but I don't, I don't think most are. And people... Are just sort of they're they're afraid. Yep, they are. Yeah, and here's the thing. You know, the Declaration calls for civil disobedience. Uh, there's a, a sentence um, in the second paragraph, I believe, where it says that you know when when the ruler has no intention of changing a course. And it's clear that the object is, uh, I think it was absolute despotism. I don't have it in front of me. But he says it's their right and it's their duty to shake off their old forms of government and establish new ones that will ensure their, their security and happiness, which is, of course, what the founders did. And the way you get there is you have to come to grips with the fact that your civil authority is governing or has been governing over a long period of time in an immoral way. At which point you need to appeal to God. That's what they did in the Declaration. They acknowledged God in the first paragraph with the phrase law of nature and of nature's God. They appealed to God. That was in the last paragraph. They said appealing to the supreme ruler of the universe. They committed to it by signing the document, and then they declared it. And so this is what I assert in the book is the next thing we need to do. 
And when we do that, I think God will show up. And then hopefully things will start to turn around. I'm hoping that civil disobedience uh, won't be what's required at this point. But for sure, we're going to have to resist these laws that are clearly immoral. So we've got to get clear on what the Bible teaches here. And again, that's why I wrote Rediscovering the American Covenant. Tell people how they can get it, because I think it's a valuable tool. Yep. Yep. And the way you get the conviction to stand up is when you really, really understand what's at stake and what your citizenship duty is. Uh, I make the case in the book uh, where God institutes civil government is Genesis 9, 5, and 6. And he says, I demand an accounting for the shedding of innocent blood. He says, I demand three times. And think about that. Where does God demand anything from us? He doesn't even demand that we follow him. Yet he's telling mankind after the flood that he expects the nations to come to govern justly. And so that's, I mean, we have to really come to grips with God expects this of his followers, people that claim to know him. In fact, there's a great verse in um, Jeremiah 22, I think it is. And um, the verse, uh, I don't have it in front of me, I, but basically it says that um, if you if you claim to know God, then you will seek justice for your fellow man. I'm paraphrasing it. But that's essentially what it says. And there are many other passages. I, I have this in the book, by the way. This is what the biblical argument that I lay out. Yeah, and and, and, and that Jeremiah thing, because the judgment against wicked kings is an important part of it, too, in terms of the obligation of what you have to do to, yep. to rid society of uh, your society that's part of your obligation and uh, yet all we have uh, we must render under caesar what is his that's not what it means uh, do you address that right yes i do that's the uh, the romans 13 passage and and you really just have to read it carefully because it says that the civil leader is there uh to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil what romans 13 is is an affirmation of everything you learn in the Old Testament. In fact, the New Te- hardly anything changes when you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's just something that Christians need to remember. Somehow we think so much has changed when uh, really very little has changed. In fact, I make this point in the book that there are three things that changed. The first thing that changed is we know how God solved our sin problem because he sent his son to die on the cross. We really didn't understand that prior to Jesus coming. It was foretold, but very few people really understood that. So that's the first thing. The second thing we learn, or the second thing that's really different, is his followers get the Holy Spirit. So that's a game changer. The third thing that we learn is that God's process, his strategy, really, for evangelism changes from the Old Testament strategy in Deuteronomy 4, where Moses told the the children of Israel that they needed to stay in the land that God gave them and that the nations of the world would see Israel and how they were blessed if they followed the covenant and that they would come and check them out, which is what the Queen of Sheba did. I have a chapter of that uh, in the book. And so obviously that changed. Instead of a stay strategy, it became a go strategy. That's the Matthew 28 Great Commission passage where he says, go out to all the nations, make disciples of all nations. So those are the three things that change. But the need for civil government that didn't change at all. It's still required. And if you understand what's established in the Old Testament, and then you look at the New Testament passages, you realize they're all just affirming 
what was what was laid down in the Old Testament. So that's the answer to the Romans 13 question. Yeah, it's also God expects us to be proactive, and and it's it, it expects us to to do certain things and stand up things, and we need to yep. we need to do that and starting in our own homes. And that's and I think with our children yep. and as we talk about the depression of children and the, and their directionless and right now and all that. Yeah. I mean, I think we are as a culture and a country and a world. All the COVID did a lot of that too. It, it, it made us, you know, it was it's been a rough, it's been a rough stretch. But the corruption of the of the people that are leading us, we're responsible for that. We can we we could change that. Yeah. And and what we yep. put up with and how we get everything thrown out from tearing down Abraham Lincoln statues uh, to uh, let alone religious statues. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is a definite uh, plan. And it's, and if you don't counter it, it's going, it's going to succeed and we're seeing it succeed. But I, I do think people are waking up and I, I'm glad you've written books like this because people need, they need a, a game plan. And you're providing it, and you're providing yeah. the yeah. not only the religious justification for it, but the, the why well, the time is right now or never. So it's um yeah. imp- we're in the precipice of important things. All right, in fact, can that's people the get your book? The subtitle of the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the subtitle of the book is "Roadmap to Restore America." So it's exactly uh, as you pointed out. Yeah, and I, I we we need it. We really do. So tell people how they can get it and. Uh, Give them all yeah. the details again. So, so you can go to my you can go to my website, which is defendamericanliberty.com. There's more information about me. You can contact me. In fact, I, I do speak at churches, and and if that's something that anyone of your listeners is interested in, uh, we might be able to work that out. It's also uh, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. So either way, you can get yourself a copy. Okay. Uh, Rediscovering the American Covenant: Roadmap to Restore America. Go give yourself a President's Day gift. Go get your book. Thank you, sir. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Jane. Take care. Okay. There we have it. So it's an interesting time. Uh, something I've been spending a lot of time personally and, and, and religiously thinking about as of late. And so it's – it's. Um, are we going to have Mr. Hoare with us, Kevin Hoare of the Oregon Republican Party, a great political analyst and patriot. Mr. Bourne? Yes, we are connecting with him in moments. I'm excited. That's very good. So so thank you for that guest. I'm glad we got to connect with him. Due to my technical difficulties, things were a little bit askew, so we apologize for that. I, but I, I I, do recommend you start looking into these things. If, you're, if this is something that's part of what you believe in and believe that being part of your uh, – responsibilities as a, as a good citizen is 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 to practice your faith um and we live in a country where you used to be free to do so and that's being taken away folks yeah he, our last guest pointed out you know when i was a kid we prayed in school which is part of we, we pledged allegiance to the flag too i mean we things that were just sort of Root. We just did it. We just did it. And and now it's been taken away. And we spend more time discussing why it was taken away than why it was there in the first place. 
and yet we do all our little odes to political correctness and those that champion it and give them and give them power and if you're follow judeo-christian ethics then you're you're working against yourself so it's it's an interesting time in which we live but we do have to fight and it isn't easy folks i know it it's much easier to sort of they make you feel little and when they make you feel little they make you feel powerless and if they don't if being powerless isn't enough to keep you being a good little girl and a little boy and not rocking uh, their boat as they burn down your cities and your country and your constitution and your values um They'll go after you. They'll go after you and your freedom and your income and your every. It's it's it doesn't. It's not a place for cowards. So we need we need brave folks out there. As a matter of fact, that's one of the bravest people I know. He's always fighting for the right causes and the right people and the right things. Mr. Kevin Hoare is with us again. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Jane. Glad to be on. Well, I'm glad to have you. Are you in favor of abolishing President's Day? <laughs> no, I'm a favor of abolishing people that want to abolish President's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a movement I could be part of. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think I think everybody uh, who's trying to cancel presidents that shaped not just U.S. history, but, but world history, changed the course of history for the better. Uh, those are people that we should not only not be listening to, but, you know, maybe if maybe if somebody needs to be canceled it's them yeah i think i think you've got a a good point well it's uh, they still want the day off though of course they don't well everybody wants a day off right but they'll come up with another name for it just like they turn columbus day into indigenous people's day and uh you know you name it i mean what are they gonna we We can probably start coming up we don't have a they they should have a woke day yes it's woke uh, uh, wokey day, be you know, <laughs> hug a wokey. Uh, which <laughs> I, I, I think you get charged with sexual harassment if you hug a, hug a hokey. I don't know, wokey. Is it, yeah, yeah. wokey. That's I like that sort of spooky name, isn't it? A little wokey. <laughs> hug a wokey. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what they'll rename Halloween then. Yeah, but I think also they're they're gonna they've got an entire you know alternative agenda for christmas of course thanksgiving just has to be canceled altogether because gratitude and humility um but that's a four-day weekend and and it's black friday so it's 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 you know you can't cancel that completely so oh but but they but it's capitalism and it's football which are two very evil things that have to be canceled uh, as soon as possible in addition to humility um uh eating uh, actual um, uh, animals like a turkey, you know, that is really bad. You know, they got to, maybe they'll call it Tofurkey Day or something. They'll change it to that. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's hard to, hard to keep straight of all these things. Senator Fetterman, the man that uh, somehow beat Dr. Oz to become the senator from Pennsylvania he's he, he was never he was sort of like Joe Biden in the basement but he was his mind was checked out and he he had had a 
he had 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 you know he he had a stroke and it, it took its toll. Yeah. But we kept telling him he, he was getting better, and he doesn't appear to be getting better. And now he's yeah. just checked into the hospital for uh, severe depression. And I guess <laughs> yeah. yeah, what do you want to believe? That's not actually depression. It's the inability to form sentences, which seems to be getting in the way of I don't know being a senator. Right. Come on, that's that's actually what was plainly obvious to anybody who's paying attention. I think that he is a byproduct of a media that's so siloed that when people get information about him, they get information that actually lets them believe that somebody who's, um, you know, a six, what is he about six, six or six, eight or something, a, a six, eight version of Joe Biden in a, in a hoodie um, is worth electing to the Senate. In fact, Joe Biden's probably got more going for him, sadly, than um, than Fetterman, including Joe Biden has a has a physician that will literally say anything to the public and uh, deceive us all. That person, if, if something happens to this country because that guy is so inept, that physician should face treason charges. That's my opinion. Well, and it, it was uh, it was such it was he's in very excellent shape, strong condition. Um, for, and, and with the caveat being for an eighty year old, I I know eighty year olds that are in a lot better shape than Joe Biden. Sure. Yeah, no, that's right, and they also uh, aren't. Uh, people who lied to the American people about their connections to China. And frankly, this is the thing that should give most people a pause if they were sincere about not wanting Bernie Sanders. They got Bernie Sanders policies anyway. They did. They supposedly elected some kind of uh, moderate, you know, good old uh, Joe from Scranton. And that turned out to be a one of the one of the nation's uh, greatest and most deceptive marketing projects of all time. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. It really is, and it's it's and Joe Biden is just. I am, I have loathed him since the Clarence Thomas hearings. I mean, I was just I, oh, I was yeah. watching him in those days. It was just oh, I just, he was so repulsive, and and he called. Some African American boy the other day referring to him. The guy is a racist. I mean, he always yeah, has but he's, he's he's also and has always been a horse's patoot. I mean, yeah. even if you see it when he was when he had his fastball still, and he used to make these impassioned speeches from the floor of the Senate. He was he was always they, slow they, pitch though. He he's never been the cream of the crop in IQ level. No, he's not been high in IQ, but he's he's been uh, he's been emphatic in things that he believed. And what's fascinating is lately they've been able to show him making emphatic speeches that directly contradict the policy that he says he's emphatically in favor of now and is actually implementing. It's crazy. Like like every but, five years, all government programs be re- re- reviewed, uh, like Social yeah. Security and Medicare, which he now is condemning. Uh, Rick Scott for uh, supporting. It, it seems like a good idea to me. I mean, not just for Medicare and Medicaid, but there's a lot of programs that if you reevaluated them, they'd be gone. And and what kind of person should be 
even close to the presidency who is effectively condemning his former self. I know. Literally every time he takes a position on a policy, which is why it's pretty easy to conclude. Uh, maybe he's concluded this. I don't know if he actually reaches conclusions now cognitively. Uh, is that he is um, uh, not in charge. Someone else is running the show. I thought it was Ron Klain, but I guess maybe he's leaving it's to get Barack a higher paid Obama. job. Yeah. It's Barack well, Obama. And, you know, he's got his, his, you know, his minions in there doing, writing the scripts and telling him where to go and what to say and when not to say it. And, and this this whole thing with these these balloons, I mean, it's, if that doesn't explode, well, quite candidly, if I'm referring to them, Jane, they are the Biden balloons. They are not Chinese. <laughs> they're Biden balloons because if they're Chinese and he just let it sail across the country before trying to take it down and he's the commander in chief, he owns it. The Chinese are no longer responsible for it. They sent it over and Biden let it happen. It's a Biden balloon now. And, and, and there are many of them. Uh, and why, why do you have to? Why do you need a weather balloon over your, your you know, your opposition's country? Yeah, I mean, just turn on the Weather Channel. I mean, <laughs> it, it, right. It, 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 so that's the whole bogus thing of weather balloons. We don't need those. It, 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 it's they're readily available. The information off them, and the fact is, does anybody in their right mind believe that if some citizens hadn't seen these and called and reported them? That would they would have told us about it because I don't think so. They're still I, not telling us about it. They they actually so some of the um, senators I know have come out of confidential briefings, you know, top top uh, classified briefings, and they have been told what these things are, and they're like, you need to tell the American people what you just told us. They're begging him to do it, and these guys won't tell anybody. What they what they told the senators. So senators can't tell us, but they can tell us that we should be told. And at this point, if anything is so sensitive that they can't tell us, then at least tell us that they aren't doing that. They're just pretending like they have nothing to say. And there's some pretty sketchy stuff like that. Whatever that thing was flying over Lake Huron that got shot down. I I don't think they're being straight with us. And if it's that embarrassing, then that's pathetic. If that really well, actually makes them look bad. One of the rumors is we bad, shot down our own st- stuff. That's possible. Why couldn't they? Then why can't we get Joe up there in Air Force One <laughs> and then scramble some F-22s and finally get this over with? I'm sorry, but if that if we're that pathetic, then how soon is that going to happen? Well. As soon as they find a replacement for Kamala Harris, I think. Oh, Kamala Harris, I'm just, oh, she's just, she's just. All right, I gotta, I gotta ask you this, this story. There's, we've got a second Republican announced for President of the United States, Nikki Haley. Thoughts? Yeah. You don't sound excited. I think, um, I think that the biggest problem that she has is that, again, she's trying to market herself as the new generation. But she took you cannot win the Republican nomination in 2024 without drawing some Trump supporters. Yeah. And even in the scenario 
where something happens and Donald Trump either doesn't become the nominee or drops out or whatever, you're going to need Trump supporters even more. And when I look at the candidates that have a chance of attracting those, unfortunately, she's not one of them because she took a bunch of them and threw them under the bus uh, in January of 2021. And I don't think they're going to forget it. I just don't. Well, yeah, I, I think they're not going to. And she, you know, she wasn't a big pro-Trump camp, you know, in, in when he first ran. She was she was yeah. one of those never Trumper types. And then, you know, and she also said, I, if Trump's running, I won't run. So a lot of people think yeah. she's running for, for VP. Well, and that could be, but then let's see how she conducts her campaign. I do think that there's an important discussion to be had in the Republican Party, as well as with Americans in general, about foreign policy. It's not all one thing or the other right now. Uh, because the Democrats, I don't know, they, they're scatterbrained. They're completely nuts. They don't understand... For them, foreign policy was just a tool you use in politics to get elected. They don't really care what happens in the future of the country. And so the party that does should have a discussion about this. But we're of two minds. And I think that's an important discussion to have. And she might drive some of that. So might Mike Pompeo. So might Donald Trump or um, uh, Ron DeSantis. But I think it is time to have a discussion about where we're going. Uh, on foreign policy, because the one thing about foreign policy is if you pretend like it doesn't matter, that's the one way to guarantee that it will, <laughs> that you'll suddenly be making tough decisions that you never thought you'd have to make because you didn't prepare. I like peace through strength. I think that's what President Trump was about and for, but he also saw limits on what we should be trying to do on everyone's behalf around the world. And I agree with that, too. And I think actually most Republicans agree with that. But then that still makes it hard to navigate that issue. And I think that's probably Nikki Haley's wheelhouse at this point, because even though she's articulate about that, I listened to a pretty good um, rundown on her and her time in South Carolina as a governor, which, by the way, Tim's. Scott is somebody who's from the same state who I, has been rumored to consider running. Right. So she might be trying to lock down some early endorsements, given that that's one of the first four primaries that, you know, first four contests in the uh, nomination race. But when they talked about her governorship and what she did, she didn't actually accomplish very much. And I'm not taking a shot at her. I'm just saying this was like she had not a lot of hard and fast things that she wanted to accomplish, but the few things that she said her campaign were about, she really didn't do. Uh, and in South Carolina, all you have to do is not do dumb Democrat stuff, and you pretty much, good job. Okay, thank you for being the governor. But in terms of leadership and what she represented, I'm I'm just not hearing very much substantive from that. So then I look at what she did in the um, UN, and I'm hearing that there were a couple of different people who are not necessarily on the same page, but felt the same way about her involvement in foreign policy, which is Mike Pompeo and uh, John Bolton. And um, both of them felt that she was somebody that kind of went rogue and just did stuff, but didn't really, you know, seem to be she, like she had her own foreign policy in the UN. I like the way she came across to the cameras and but, Bolton would know a lot about that too yeah he would because he used to serve in that role that's yeah. right 
but, but he also had his own foreign policy. But uh, so he, he, he couldn't have the same as the president and, and have Nikki Haley off contradicting him because he, he felt like right. he was, I'm not a Bolton fan. Uh, but uh, I am. I, I have a lot of. I have. I don't, there's something about her that I think she's she's smooth. Um, mm-hmm. She's like she's ambitious. She's yeah, ambitious. She, she's very ambitious. She's likable. Uh, I think take you know they we're taking her part because I guess in one form and one time in her life she they asked her you know, what what color she was and she said she was white. Well, she's as white as I am. I, you know, I, I don't, what are you supposed to write down? I don't think that there's enough, like she's kind of an empty vessel. She's going to go and try to fill her campaign with a bunch of themes that sound like they're the right ones or that are poll tested and that she's trying to sound like she has conviction about. But in the end, I don't believe that she has that, that fight that people want. She doesn't have that um, uh, resiliency no, that I, I think, think you need. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I think the first time I really saw that in her was when they – first she stood up against removing the the state flag. The Confederate yeah, stripes. Yeah, right. and she and she she stood up and said, "No, this is part of our history. This is part of this, and and it's you know states' rights and all." The, she she did, and she then she completely cowered. I mean, she she was she felt she came. so rather than making it an educational opportunity, she caved, and uh, we don't need that. We don't need that that at all but it, it, it's it's i think going, she got rolled i think she got rolled and i also think that she thinks the case for her candidacy is a diversity case which is a great thing if you're in the other party or if you're appealing to a general election electorate but i don't believe that's compelling when you're talking about a republican primary electorate i just don't what do you think she was talking she, she was talking about her age you know you know she, being and comparing that obviously to trump's and to 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 biden's and then yeah. she's suggesting a, a competency test for anybody over 75 who runs for the presidency and um but don don lemon as they call him a, a yeah. morning host of of cnn he actually said well she says she's in her prime, but she's not in her prime. A woman in her prime is in her 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, but she's in her 50s. She's not in her prime. I can't believe he was that stupid to say that. I, that's really that's that's actually the the really ridiculously sexist uh, commentary that they claim Republicans are guilty of. But uh, Don Lamont gets away with it. Right. Because that sounds like. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, she's not in childbearing age anymore, so we're going to have to cancel her. And it's like, yeah, that really matters uh, running for president. The way I look at it, for me, the model female uh, political leader for me is Margaret Thatcher and still is. If someone can measure up to her because she handled tougher circumstances than most people running for president would handle. I mean, question time. You know, she was able oh, to. Oh, no, she was uh, tough. She was. Tough. She was a real leader, but she yeah. also had a feminine side to her. She did. Oh, she, she absolutely knew how to did. use one versus the other. And I think that is 
that is the model that people have to figure out. What is that? You know, I was talking, Kevin, with, earlier with a, a, a guest, uh, uh, and, and we were talking about religion and, and its role in, in, in our government and in our founding fathers. And and I, I often marvel at how things people come together at the right place in the right time to do certain things. Sometimes it's bad, but mm-hmm. but I think in our country to have that kind of mental prowess that our founding fathers had and courage and tenacity and and but brilliance to bring into all these concepts that are so uh, worth many have died for and it's for them to be all in that brief period of time when life expectancy wasn't all that long to be in the same place on the same piece of of the planet all at the same time and it it I feel that way about Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and Pope John Paul. If yeah. it, if not all three of them had been where they were at that right that that those minutes, so many things would be different today. And they were amazing. And and, our, and, and I agree with you because our nation has had an uncanny ability to produce the right people for the right moment somehow, even though it seems like serendipitous. But it's happened too many times not to be providential for me. Um, and I, I, so I agree with you, but I also think when you, you can't, it's hard to hold every politician to this standard, but the one you want to be in charge of everything and, and the most powerful job in the world, you have to ask them if they would be one of those people that would, that would have signed a document after essentially saying that I'm not going along with this unacceptable stuff anymore and I'm in revolt against this stuff. Uh, that they would say at the end of that document, and I pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor. Are we, we going to get that from people who are chameleon-esque? I actually think that Donald Trump has done some of that, okay? This has not been good for his business and his fortune. Absolutely no. not. I, and, you know, I'm pretty sure that some of these folks will like to kill him, but certainly you feel like when you take the constant – um lies and phony persecutions and and fake news and just trying to destroy your character with falsehoods and you manage to sustain yourself through that it's like dying a dying a death each day having the media deal with that or do that to your family of course um sacred honor i mean it's it's hard to measure what that is but the way I look at it is Donald Trump said, I'm going to do the things you put in that platform, not because I'm all about everything, but because you put it in there, I'm going to do it. That's what he said. I know who he said it to in 2016. I actually didn't entirely believe it was true. I figured that was just a line to make people happy. And then he turned around and he did it. So everybody who complains about him and his personality and this and that, they aren't complaining about the results that he achieved. If they are, they're just not Republicans. That's it. That's no, how I feel. No, I agree with you, Kevin. And it's it's and it's he has given up so much. And, and you know, they're going to indict him on a bunch of stuff too. And it's it, it's not going to pan out. It's just not. It never does. But it's uh, and they're even bragging up Stormy Daniels again. They just can't stop. And it's and, and I think they'll do that to anybody. That that seems to be 
in the position to be the Republican nominee. Doesn't matter who it is. I, I agree. felt like that in 2016. If it hadn't been Donald Trump, they would have been doing it to Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or you name it. And so that's the standard is that who can be resilient through that and who can do what they said they were going to do, even if people are trying to destroy you. And um, I actually feel that Ron DeSantis is like that. I think he's one of those guys. Um, and and so I. Yeah, you don't you're not I the think, governor of, of Florida and take on Disney if you're not one of those guys. You right. Know. You don't win a, a race for governor in 2018 by less than one percent and then and then constantly check the polls to make sure it was OK that you did some of the strident stuff that you did after that including stick it to the president of the United States who said you're you're screwing up your state and you're killing people. And it's like, no, I'm keeping the state open. I don't care what you say. And then everybody turned out to be so happy with what he did that they gave him a 20 percent election margin four years later. That's somebody who knows what he's about. And he does have that same thing that Trump has. I think that's the standard. And I'm not saying a female can't do that. I actually think they could. Do I think Nikki Haley is that person? My gut says no right now, but let's see what she does and see what she says. There yeah. are going to be other candidates too. Yeah, it it it, it was an interesting it, it was an interesting launch, and I I just the fact that she said she wouldn't run. I think she's running for VP too. I tend to to agree, you, but you could be right, and that might be what Mike Pompeo is going to do. I keep thinking about him and what he's going to do, and I think there's others. I think Tim Scott might get in the race. We'll see. Well, I think he's definitely um, in. Yeah, I think he's definitely in. And and Pompeo, Pompeo was a brilliant guy. I mean, this is he's. Oh, right. Yeah, he's 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 a uh, he's a little bit too zealous on the for me on the war in Ukraine, but then and, and that whole thing I think is a, a whole other. Oh, I I don't know the especially with the people in charge. Our military is such a mess, and their our leaders under Biden are so they're as feckless as he is, and it's it's. Well, I want to know. I want to know what what Milley and what's his name uh, did. What did they say to uh, uh, President Brandon when uh, when they informed him that this balloon was drifting across the country? I want to know what they said. We need to find that out because that is the stuff that if you don't. If that dynamic is screwed up, Americans will die eventually. That balloon was a test, from my point of view, and Absolutely. it could have been carrying an EMP device, a hypersonic missile. It could have been almost anything. And and these guys act like it's just another day at the park. That's yeah, not. A, that, they're not. Their number one job is to protect the United States. Period. But they can shoot down our own weather balloons. They, 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 and act like they're they're doing something. And by the way, they they didn't recover anything out of those. Nothing, nothing, not one scrap, anything anywhere. This is it's it's just it's ridiculous. And they don't they don't tell us the the truth. And it's it's very very frustrating. For the most uh, transparent presidency ever, they're pretty opaque. It's it's pretty uh, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty bleak. It's, uh... If you'll understand the double entendre, I think that Joe Biden's presidency is looking through a glass darkly at this point and, <laughs> um, and, 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 and on many levels. And the problem is that we know he's not going to be the 2024 nominee. We know it. Democrats don't don't bank on stuff like that and just crash and burn. They don't do it. Um, and they know that Kamala Harris is worse. 
in, in in ways that are just hard to believe, but she's so fake and so scatterbrained. So, so they're going to have to pull a fast one. Oh, you well, mean, at least people yeah. voted for Biden. They thought he was likable. They know different now, but uh, the guy's just repulsive. He really is. He's, he's irritating. He's repulsive. He's a idiot. He's a, he's a, he's embarrassing to be our president. And and for this doctor to give him a clean bill of health and that he's vibrant and. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's just, everything's you can't believe anything anymore. You can't believe anything anymore. It's just very apparently. Apparently, a clean bill of health is just not being dead. I don't know. That's all I can figure out at this point. And and I'm just more concerned about the country than I am about Joe Biden. I think that's where our concern should be. There are some serious issues we need to deal with, and I don't know who's actually running things that's dealing with it or making the ultimate call on this stuff. But we need something much better, much more competent. Um, But like I said, I actually am optimistic because I do believe that our country produces the right person at the right time to to course correct. I just. I'm in the grand optimistic party. I'm just going to stay that way. Yeah, I uh, like but it. But I'm also yeah. going to work like hard, too. Grand optimistic party. That's what Kevin Hoare is uh, from. He's from Oregon. He's a great patriot, a great fighter. Thank you both for always for coming on. The time was too short, as always. My pleasure, Jane. Okay. That's a wrap, folks. Wrap night. Thank you, Mr. Bourne, for taking care of our issues earlier this evening. And good night, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.